Let me just take this space to alert you to our new digital magazine uh, called The Front of the Bus, same as a podcast. Um, for four issues, is £10, £2.50 an issue. I think that's pretty reasonable. And it's covering the stories that um, the mainstream Scottish media don't, whether it's corruption or shining a light on stuff that's um, perhaps needing a light shone on it. Kind of falling on from the books and documentaries I did. We, we also having guest writers and stuff like that. Issue 1 is out now. And to subscribe, you can PayPal, we still won at yahoo.com, £10. And you will receive that issue instantaneously and three other issues after that. So it's the Front of the Bus digital magazine. We've also got a page on Facebook at the Front of the Bus. You search that on Facebook. Um, you'll see more details there. But in the meantime, you know, subscribe. You know, read some new stuff, some good stuff, some original stuff, and some stuff that you might have read already. Hello everyone, it's another edition of the Front of the Bus where we talk to innovators, creators, agitators, you name it. <clears throat> now today you're in for a real treat. On the line we have a singer-songwriter supreme and it's one of these people that I like to talk to because the kind of dual interest in the creative protest, process, I beg your pardon, maybe protest as well, and um, how they've each got an innovative story and today... We have someone just like that, so I'm going to introduce you with a song to the one and only John Graham. Thanks very much, Paul. That's a song I wrote called uh, Passing Place. Thank you. 
Absolutely brilliant. What, what was the inspiration behind that song, John? Well, I don't know if you've ever been a, a John up the Highlands, mate, but mm-hmm. they get these single track roads Aye. up the dark end of nowhere. And they've got these wee things called passing places, mm-hmm. just in case you meet up a car. And I just, the idea kind of came to me like, just the idea of a really long journey, and you're just kind of looking for a passing place to get by. I just thought, I like the, I like the sound of the words together. Aye, aye. Passing place. It was really kind of just about a long journey. We were up there with a the band years ago, playing a place called, um, called Cohen. Mm-hmm. And it was just single track roads for like 20 <laughs> miles, man. And it was just, if you met somebody, you'd have to reverse about three quarters of a mile to let them by, you know. So there's aye. plenty of time on our hands. I just kind of started piecing bits of it together then. I think one of the things that I've learned going up there as an older person, um, if the, the thing I would advise anybody is if you get the opportunity to take a piss, take it. Because you're not going to get many places to stop. But um, you talked about, so how did you actually get any music, John, and who were your kind of early inspirations and influences? Well, I've always kind of, I've always been into music, mate, mm-hmm. um, without necessarily playing it. Aye. I mean, I was, I was into... I mean, you had no choice to be, to be into the Beatles in my household. Like, you know, my dad loved them. <laughs> <laughs> kind of Johnny Cash and that. Aye. But my older brother, Jamie, he came back for uni with some quite strange records. Like, um, that's when I got into Public Enemy, mm-hmm. Tribe Called Quest, mm-hmm. Funkadelic, um, and later kind of Northern Soul mm-hmm. uh, and Funk and Soul kind of records. So he kind of broadened my horizons a wee bit even before I started playing music. Mm-hmm. Um... But my mate Baz, who I'm still in a band with just now, we were at high school and he was entering some talent competition at the school. Aye. I got winded that we were entering as the Beatles. <laughs> so I just, I just invited myself and says you were even on John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that went along a wee bit, but then they changed their mind and said they were going as Oasis. All right. um, so then I said, well, I'll be Liam then, that's cool. <laughs> so I can't. I kind of forced my way into Baz's band and he's, he's not chucked me out since that was when we were 15 but I don't know in terms of influences I'm, I'm 40 now so mm. when you're at school at 15 anybody that's interested in guitar music that says Oasis didn't have an effect on I think they might be talking shite because mm-hmm. you know they affected all of us at school Aye. and it was it was quite accessible I mean you'd listen to the Stone Roses and stuff like that and you loved it but the guitar playing's not very accessible no you know John Squire was just a genius but mm-hmm. Oasis songs you could get into them you could learn them quickly and that was a real sort of pathway for me into learning guitar because Oasis songs for all they were brilliant they were quite simple to play that's really interesting you say that because I remember the singer-songwriter Pete Wiley saying to me that you know, when he was getting <clears throat> into music and stuff in, in Liverpool, they deliberately didn't listen to the Beatles because they were like, look, we just can't be that good. It's that simple. Yeah. You know, we need to fight for Ford's own way. And I think that kind of, you know, I, I always think with the Beatles, um, if you're having a discussion about music, it's like, right, we'll talk about the Beatles later because they're not going to be discussed with any other band, you know, because they're just that fucking godlike. Well, they're out there on their own, aren't they? Aye. And, and similarly... <clears throat> When I first heard Public Enemy and saw Public Enemy, it was like a, it was like an out of body experience, John. Kind of, it was just like, oh my god, these guys are, 
not only you know the same kind of age as me and the same kind of views as me, but they can espouse them in a way that creatively blows everybody else off the stage, like you know. So it's pretty um, remarkable. But I mean, it's I think I hear what you're saying as well. We like the stone roses and stuff. It's like it, it all looks so simple, doesn't it? But in reality, of course, it's not. And as you say. You know, people like John Squire and that, how do you replicate that? You know, plenty of bands have tried to replicate it, you know what I mean? Um, oh, absolutely, I mean, and but, um, Ian Brown's doing a good job of putting me off the stone was he's in the right enough. Been a bit bizarre he's, that one. I was um, spoke to oh, someone who sort of has spoke, has met him a few times and stuff, and I asked him, what, what do you think? And he just went, I think he's just had too much skunkweed, to be honest. And he's fucking I, just, <laughs> you know... I, you know, I've nothing against people smoking dope, but then he do it and watch YouTube at the same time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it just takes you down that rabbit hole. Um, but I guess, like, I mean, Oasis, you mentioned Oasis. I mean, Oasis were... How could I put... I mean, they were probably what the music scene needed at that time, John. Aye. Aye, it was a great time to be a teenager. And looking back now, it's probably the last time there was a movement like that because mm. I kind of see it and, I yeah. mean before they made the roses before that you'd acid house before mm. that you'd kind of maybe northern soul before aye, that you'd you know there's been a, I feel sorry for this generation because you know what have they got now Ed Sheeran some <sighs> I mean I did you know they'll probably tell us John that we're getting old and all that kind of thing but I just didn't get it with people like Ed Sheeran and you know all these people that win awards and all that and I'm like who the fucking hell are they like and it feels to me as though they can't really hold a note, but in, uh, in terms of your own kind of musical, um, when did you start first thinking about kind of writing songs, playing instruments, singing, that kind of thing? Probably earlier than I had any right to, because mm-hmm. I, I was starting to write songs before I could really play guitar, or, or I just kind of started doing it right away. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like anybody else, writes songs that the initial ones are, are pretty poor, but you definitely get a wee bit better at it the more you, Aye. you push on. And I don't know, we just mean Buzz can he piece stuff together, um, wrote stuff their own. But in terms of just now, I mean I just I, I don't sit down and write a song, I'm a collector. Right. So I'll give you ideas and it doesn't happen the same way. Sometimes I'll come up with lyrics first and then put chords. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll have a riff. Sometimes I'll be in the you know the, the studio with the band and maybe just right. come up with a jump something to it. It's, it happens all the sort of different ways for me mate it's never there's no kind of formula to it Aye. but my phone's really wee snippets of lyrics melodies chords you know sitting, I've got a wee crap piano that's in my kitchen again I can't play piano but I can come up with wee odds and ends on it that I can piece into songs mm-hmm. so what I tend to do when I get spare time is just go through all the wee snippets on my phone and try and sort of piece something together out of what's there and it's worked a few times like that I mean, it reminds me very much of uh, Sean Ryder, Happy Mondays, who puts all just different lyrics in a teapot. And then when he goes to write an album, he just digs them all out. And I think, uh, I mean, the, the, you know, the creative process is something that fascinates me, but it's also something that, you know, it's like what you see, where, where do these ideas come from? Where do these thoughts come from? You know, they just sort of enter your head and then end up in a song or whatever. Uh, I mean, it's... Um, I suppose... It, like I mean, the thing with your phone really resonates with me because there's so many times where I'll be walking, especially if I'm walking or something on my own, and I'll think, "Oh, that's a good idea for a book," and I'll write it in my notes, and I'll look at it two weeks later and think, "What the fuck is this?" 
<laughs> you know, man, man, man and dog go to Blackpool. What the fuck is this all about? But you know that it's amazing how um, the technology. You know, you, you can kind of like what am I trying to say? Try like we you talk about having a piano news. Paul McCartney said that you know before the computer, way 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 before the computer, everybody had a piano in their house, whether they uh. could play it or they couldn't. And that that's a kind of when I've when I've seen your life stuff, it's it's, it's almost it's a bit kind of. These are a kind of eclectic, you know, Jules Holland type amalgamation of sounds and all that, but it works. I mean, do do you think about writing songs with other band members or musicians in mind? Sometimes you're halfway through something and it it occurs to you that it sounds too much like something. Uh, Do you know what I mean? You need need to either change it or wrap it. Mm -hmm. I've never done with a particular artist or, or sound in mind, I just usually see where it goes. But I mean, there's no doubting that the Beatles have influenced like massive on me mm-hmm. and probably in the right that, you know, I mean, they were geniuses. Some of the stuff they did were even just chord progressions. Mm-hmm. And going back to them sort of influencing me, like when I was 15, 16, I was kind of getting into a wee bit of bother and stuff at school and mm. wasn't doing that great. And I think my mum and dad were quite pleased that I got into music because it, it started to keep me out of bother. Still uh. does actually. And um, it was a nice bit of kind of mutual ground between me and my dad at that age because, you know, you yourself, not many people go on with their dad at the age of 15, 16, but True, aye. Like, a bit of mutual ground over the Beatles, you know. And it was, that was quite good. And like, I mind my mum just casually dropping them. He'd seen them in Glasgow mm-hmm. back in the 60s. And I was like, what? And I couldn't wait for him to come home from work. It was like, right. He came in, I was like, right, what was it like? What were they wearing? What guitars did they use? You know, what was it lighting like? I went and loved him, you know, and he was just like, they were absolutely shite. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> he just said they were shit, you know, it was just, you hear anything, you can hear anything over Darth Lassie's screaming. Aye. And he was like, well, the Who were much better, and the, you know, the Small Faces were better. And I think he said the Searchers were better, which I wasn't having. <laughs> no. But I think, but I, aye, I think you're right with that kind of thing where it's, I always wonder, like, in this case of your old man, did he know that they're witnessing something magical at the time? You know, that we look back yeah. and we go, my God, what a time you've been alive. But did they know? But then, of course, then you just kind of say it, but you say, well, actually, they were shite. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> um, certainly when I found the Beatles, I found the Beatles sort of later in life. I wasn't, you know, I was aware of them and all that kind of thing, but I didn't really get into them until my early 30s. And when I did, I was like, fucking hell, I found this thing that's just so magical and wonderful and it never lets you do and it's, you know, it's not a person right. and it's not a football team and it's not all that kind of thing. And just kind of devoured all the stuff, you know, John Lowe, all the documentaries and the music and all that kind of thing. And it always fascinates me to kind of tie in with the creative processes. For example, a song like Love Me Do, they write that song yeah. and they think it's good, but it's no great. And then they decide to put a harmonica with Lennon at the start of it. And that's what makes the song. And every yep. time I hear that harmonica, John, I just feel better, you know? Right, it's um, great. That, that whole early sound, I mean, there was a harmonica in a few of them. Mm-hmm. Like the Beatles, they didn't stick to the same thing, did they? Because that was the formula that was working for them. Then they could have just said harmonica in every song. Yeah. Another one each one, but they didn't. They just kept evolving and they'd done that until they split up. And what they did over the space of, what, seven years, really, was oh. And it's funny as well, I don't know what your take on their kind of later solo stuff was, but I always thought that the best solo album that came out of the Beatles was from George Harrison. 
And my reasoning yeah. for that, I think, is because he had so many songs stockpiled. They were brilliant songs, but were perceived not to be good enough to get on a Beatles album. Yeah. Therefore, they had them already, kind of thing. And although, I mean, Lennon obviously done Imagine and McCartney. So, I mean, so you think McCartney maybe was able to satisfy all his creative needs with the Beatles? So then he come to yeah. himself and he'd maybe exhausted it a wee bit. But as you say, you know, it's just seven years to have that impact on the culture. Um, yeah. It's just absolutely incredible. Ah, it's incredible, incredible. mate. My, my dad, he prefers the, you know, his era was the, like you say, they didn't realise they were witnessing history. They just yeah. filed them next to the small faces and the searchers and that at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's the period he prefers is the kind of mop top. You know, my dad was like, I went after them when they started taking drugs and getting into funny religions and all that. That's <laughs> the best period, like. <laughs> I know, I think it was, I read something a couple of weeks ago that said that the, somebody really famous was fucking talking to the Queen and the Queen said to him, this was in the 60s, well, the, Queen was a, the Beatles have went awfully funny, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, aye, fucking gargantian uh, portions of drugs might have dealt with that. But aye, uh, so, so. so, I mean, in terms of, See, when you're singing and that, how long would you think would you rehearse a song before you would actually play it live? I don't know. It's different for my, my own stuff, mate, because I'm in I'm in two bands, so my own stuff doesn't get heard very often. Yeah. I'm in a covers band, um, mm-hmm. just a pop band, really, but we've been on the go for 20 years, so I, I keep that's kind of vital to me, I think, just to keep my hand in, because mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be out enough just with my own stuff. Um, so I like playing covers just to kind of keep Playing my trade almost. And what do you what do you feel about you're talking about you're doing covers now? What do you feel about the actual performance? Um, do you get nerves, anxiety, or anything like that before you go on? No, not really, mate. No, it's because we've done it that many times. Mm-hmm. I would say more so with my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get a bit a wee bit anxious about it, but we've played with the band that many times, like the covers band. It's just. And we always get in pretty well, mm. you know, quite well rehearsed and stuff. And, and a lot of what we play is our mates. And well, I don't know about you, but my mates, you know, not only would they no hesitate to tell you you were shite, they'd probably take a, <laughs> bit of, they'd take a bit of pleasure in it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's, um, aye, aye, I know I can relate to that. I think I'd done one um, phone premiere and, uh, and uh, one of my best mates was there and I asked him, What did you think? And he went, I wasn't even fucking keen on the sausage rolls they were serving. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but we'll, uh, we'll we'll get into that. We'll get into the live gigging after that. But um, it's time for another song, John. So what have you got lined up for us? All right, mate. Uh, this is a song called "Love Lost." Mm-hmm. I wrote with the Nine Clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, don't really know what it's about, but I can again. I had the vague idea that there's a lot of kind of saying there's no love lost here tonight. So I kind of think it was right. Sometimes when you're out and there's maybe a group of folk you can smell, there's maybe going to something aye, kick aye, off with exactly. folk who don't like each other, that mm-hmm, kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you just go to the pub, you can tell there's going to be a bit of a, an issue. I think it was one of them, just kind of. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, goes like this. Love, 
Modern Western directed by Quentin Tarantino, that's kind of song. I love it. Um, <laughs> we're talking about live gigging. Now, I'm going to preface this uh, conversation because it's, I'm going to tell you a story I've seen just and see if you can relate to this. I was in huh? Liverpool last year, a um, couple of months before lockdown, a uh, couple of months before the year ended, big part. and um, I'm in a pub and it's a Saturday afternoon and there's a guy on a guitar singing and he was pretty good. He was doing things like Neil Young, Bob Dylan, um, the specials, all that kind of thing. And every time he'd done it, he started to really sound like the person that he was was replicating. So the fucking audience was getting really well and good and all the rest of it. Mid-gig, mid-song, a guy goes up half-pissed and tries to shake his hand whilst he's playing the fucking guitar. To then, the guy then goes up and complains that the guitarist stroke singer would not shake his hand to the management. And we're witnessing this going, what the fuck is going on here? Like, you know what I mean? So in your experience, live gigs, give me your stories, good and bad. 
good and bad. I've had a lot of that, to be honest. Me and a boy trying to lick my face when I was singing once. And I thought, <laughs> I am sorry. About, I'm sorry about that, John. You're just an attractive man. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We done a pub in uh, in Motherwell, mm-hmm. which I won't name because I'm not a get bad press. It's actually a really good boozer. But um, we played it with a band in Scotland. We're playing that day, so there'd been a crowd. I think maybe Scotland, Italy, or something. So there'd been a crowd in all day, and they were all really pissed by the time we were sort of loading the gear in. Mm. But there was a bouncer on the door, and I was right away. It was the first time we played that. I'm like. He's like, see bouncers and pubs. I says to him, what's the crack? Why are you here? He's like, I just keep an eye on things and that. I thought, hmm. But he says to him, here, your band, you don't play that, um, I predict a riot, do you, by the Kaiser Chiefs? I says, no, nah, nah, we don't play it. And he's like, thank fuck, every time somebody plays that, there's a riot in here. It just <laughs> kicks <it> off. <laughs> so, so, by the time we were playing, everybody was just out their mind. I mean, there was a big giant guy with a kilt on, mm-hmm. and he kept, he, he was just standing over a drummer, and he just kept screaming, fucking at him, at him, because I don't think he was hitting him hard enough for his liking, eh? All right, aye. And there was a lassie sort of, was pole dancing on my mic stand, and I was trying to sing, she was nearly knocking my fucking teeth out, and this went on and on. <laughs> I ended up having to see it, a big boy, like any chance you'd leave a drummer on him. But, it's one of the ones you can smell it coming, so sure enough, halfway through, I think a door song we were playing just kicked right off. Just okay corral stuff, pink tumblers flying, folk getting hot with cheers. I mean, it was really, honestly, it was something that we're fucking western. <laughs> but the basement was beating He's going, we need to stop, we need to stop. I like, no, they don't, just keep going. Because uh, I had a solo coming, I don't get many solos coming. <laughs> I had a guitar solo, I said, fucking stop. But, that was an eye opener, mate. But I suppose good guys will have had. We've had plenty, man. I mean, mm-hmm. was, the, the drummer's a biker. Mm-hmm. So we've played sort of gigs for the the biker folk sometimes, Harley driver and that. I mean, they're a good bunch of folk. They, they think they're fucking sons of arthritis or whatever, but, <laughs> you know, they're a, they're a good bunch, like, you know, and they always, they always have a good party. Um, and it was a good festival. I don't know if any of you mind this. was a festival down in Wishy, believe it or not, mm-hmm. um, in the park, and it was... There was a big proper festival stage and all that where the bands mm. on coming and Canadian bands played. But they put us in the the beer tent. Oh, That's where that stage was. And twice we played it and twice it was absolutely pushing down. So obviously everybody's in the beer tent, like, not me watching us getting a beer and the weather shit outside. So that, I mean, we had a couple of really good gigs in there just because of the weather, I think. It's amazing that actually um, we are, you know, the setup to that gig is, oh fuck, it's a beer tent, oh fuck, it's pissing in the rain, everybody's going to be pissed, and you end up having a really good gig. I've had that experience myself where I've went to places and thought, oh my god, this looks like a beer pit, um, and it's actually been fantastic. I remember again, I'll no name the name like you didn't. They? I was taken into a pub one night, and I was there was a crime scene outside the pub. And I said, what happened? And the guy said, oh, it's all right. Somebody got murdered last night. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked into this fucking, I, I predict a riot, fucking gone on, basically. But when that was up, it was fine. But then I've been done other gigs. So I've been totally well organised. And I've been looking at the audience and it's been like I'd watch a dog watching a card trick, you know? <laughs> and just staring at you. Probably one of the best ones, actually, was, again, it wasn't, it wasn't in Scotland. I'll not say where. 
I'm up on stage, I'm doing a Q&A, show the film, and all of a sudden this fucking guy just jumps up. You don't know what you're talking about, you fucking dick. I'll kick your fucking head in, you fucking wanker, and all the rest of it. So I was like, what the fuck? And then the committee, to be fair, jumped right on the guy. Whoa, 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 fucking boom, out the door and all the rest of it. But if God's the committee were all doing that, somebody came on the stage and was like, you see, I actually said these words to me. I just wanted to explain what that guy was talking about there. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, fuck off, you know what I mean? Um, but I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, I'll tell you one of the things that, that, I don't know if it shocked me, John, but when I was doing a lot of live gigging, the amount of drink and drugs consumed in Scotland really oh, took, took me by surprise, I have to say. And I'm a regular drinker and previous drug taker, you know what I mean? I mean, have you found that as well? Aye, I've found them, I've found... Cocaine's a fucking Aye, devil's drug, you know, especially when you're out, you're out playing. I mean, I was talking about the lady that licked my face. That was, they were just taking lines on the table in the pub that night. They, do you know what I mean? The owner of the pub wasn't saying anything to them. Mm. So clearly, you know, they're going to end up acting like dicks if they'll just get carte blanche to take coke on it. I mean, I, I can't stand cocaine. It turns people into assholes, man. It does. It absolutely does. Um, it's almost like the fucking... Um, it's like the Superman cape for the fucking idiot, really. Um, ah, it's always insecure me boys mm. you know, but with a, you know, I think they're the big men for a couple of hours but ah, it's just I've, I've definitely found that kind of locally I mean, drunk folk are brand new they're either mm. I've dealt with them for years but I can't be I can't be asked with folk coped at their head you know, try to I mean, do you think, John that what I've always thought is your state of mind as a punter going into a gig or a pub or whatever is going to determine how much you enjoy the night you know, if you're uh, sitting there fucking looking at a band or whoever going, fucking impress me, you know, you're never going to have a good night. You've got uh, to kind of loosen uh, up a little bit. You know, I mean, and, and similarly, like, I mean, the cocaine stuff, I remember having a gig, I think it was actually at Celtic Park, and one of the bosses came up to me and was like, some guy's going fucking berserk at the door, eh? And so I went over to him and he was fucking going, ready to fight everybody. And I said, what's the matter? What the fuck's a good debut? I said, it's my night, so what the fuck is the matter? And he looked me straight in the eye. There's a fucking steward behind me and he goes, I'll tell you what the matter is. See that cunt there? He does not know who fucking Robert the Bruce is. And what? I was just like, for fuck's sake, man. Will you just get to fuck? And he was, and I could see it, Ken, the eyeballs and all that kind of thing and the fucking red nose and stuff. He was cocked at his fucking eyeballs, eh? But... man. But you do get that. I mean, it's... But I suppose the flip side of it is you get folk that if, if they're music fans and they come and see your covers band, for example, you know, you've made their night because you're playing their favourite songs. Absolutely. And Absolutely. make a half-decent job of it, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, we play everything for the 60s right up to kind of indie-ish, like maybe Oasis, Ocean Colour scene, mm-hmm. a bit of the Killers, that kind of thing, we bit of the Monkeys as well. So there's a wide range of stuff that we play and yeah. we'll generally play everybody. Aye, and I also think when you're having a couple of babies and all that, there's nothing better than recognition and repetition in terms of songs, you know what I mean? And obviously I've seen his live and he's doing a fantastic job. But being a covers band in that situation, does that mean people request basically everything? Aye. Oh, fuck you, man. Jesse J asked for and stuff. (laughs) Queen, I mean, Queen is just... He's to their own, mate, but I can't... No. I've got a real thing about Queen, I just, and my wife has as well. She just can't go. Um, that at least once, once a month, you'll get asked for Queen, and I, you know, I need to politely be, explain that I, I hate them. It's one of the things, John. I think, and I think DJs suffer for this as well. 
the amount of people who go up and request, sing this, do that, blah, blah. and you, you know, you can't really do it, but you feel you must feel like saying to them, "Look, mate, I know what I'm doing. No. <laughs> I've prepared this actually. Like, <laughs> you know I, mean? I didn't just turn up there like a fucking jukebox and go put money in I there, to, you know? to wait for your input." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I seemed to that last year in particular I was like wait have a wee fit do I look as if I play Jesse J <laughs> like look at this <laughs> there's no one of us under fucking 16 stone I'm bald you know what I mean the fucking keyboard player's 70 what makes you think we would play Jesse J <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking incredible because I remember obviously I had Jews at the anyone but Celtic Premier and I told you at the time with somebody sent me a message with a band and saying, "Why is this band not singing rebel songs?" And I, I didn't see the song, didn't speak, but I didn't see the message to left of the event, and I wrote back because they're not a rebel band. <laughs> but it's a exactly. it's a way where, you know, that way where they get the drink in them and it's in their head. This is what I'm going to say, and this is why I'm going to react and all that kind of thing. Of course, he's full of apologies the next game day, but um, uh, it's, it's, I mean, I mean that night in the the, the staff at the Kerrydale's we were wanting to see what we were playing and stuff. I mm-hmm. think they were wanting to make sure we weren't right. playing anything controversial. Um, but I think, I remember we did do a wee verse in Grace at the end, just mm-hmm. to kind of please the punters a wee bit. I think that went down quite well. Aye, it's um, one of the things we are, when you're, you know, like, I'll give you, like, when I, when I first showed the ask this year at Celtic Park, I'm, I'm kind of preparing myself for all the questions I'm going to ask, what this film's going to be and blah, 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 and all the rest of it. And the first thing the guy said to me was, Oh, I'm dying to see this film. We've heard a lot about. It. I thought, well, that's fine then. But when you get to the music, you can always kind of go, you know, they're always like, so what kind of songs is it going to be? And it's like, oh, nothing you've not heard before. Uh, what do you mean by that? Like, and it's kind of, but in reality, Aye. if the door's going over the bar, and that was always my selling point to them. Listen, I'm bringing four hundred drunks into your venue. What fucking nerd do you want? Um, exactly. They didn't really fucking care. But similarly, I think. See that kind of night, John. If if you put a rebel band on the stage, it becomes a riot. Aye, because, absolutely. You know, and Aye, people, you know, I get one comment always oh, on a rebel band. There's fucking a hundred others saying, "Oh, that was really good. I wasn't expecting that." You know, because a lot of them come with their wives and all that, and maybe they're not so much into this stuff and whatever. And that you know, they try to cater to all people. Um, but it's yeah, uh, I love the group as much as the next guy. Like, but mm-hmm. it's no, it's definitely a select crowd if you're playing that kind of stuff man you know it's no and it's never really appealed to me to do it for music I love the songs I mean I was brought up on mm-hmm. an Irish songs and Irish rebel songs and stuff and I know the stories and all that and, you know but it's, it doesn't interest me going out and playing them you know it's just not my thing I mean there's also so many people that date John you know what I mean it's um, every time I put on Facebook somebody else is doing a live stream singing you know song which is great but uh, but talking about that stuff uh, about three years ago I asked you and sort of gave you a task to come up with a song for a film that I was doing, documentary, called Armageddon, which you did. Yeah. Now, before I talk about that, I should just say, I think I told you this before, that I've done a kind of voiceover thing for Armageddon during the lockdown, you know, where it was like doing a director's commentary, if you like. Um, yeah. And because I toured the Asset Years and anyone but Celtic extensively I've seen the films hundreds and hundreds of times Armageddon I didn't do that I've only done like four or five select venues so I hadn't watched it for a couple of long time and I was kind of I was like, fucking hell I keep forgetting to talk because I'm so engrossed in the film and then when the song yeah. came on I was like at the end I was like who the fuck did we get that for that's brilliant and I couldn't fucking 
<laughs> I mean, did we steal that for fucking Sunday? And uh, of course, it was yourself. So, you know, you kind of got a broad, broad strokes of the subject matter and all that. What were you kind of thinking when you started writing the song? Well, as you say, you gave me the kind of lowdown of what, what it was going to be about and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was a first for me, mate. I've, not, I've wrote songs when I was a kid, really. But I've never wrote a song for something. Mm-hmm. Or a, a song to order, I feel like. You aye, know what I mean? So aye. that was that was a challenge for me. Like, I kind of knew what I wanted to do with it. I wanted to... I didn't want a, a ballad or anything. I wanted mm-hmm. it to be quite uplifting. Aye. But I did want a wee bit of defiance in it as well, maybe in the lyrics. But kind of subtle. No, mm-hmm. you know, not just like Casey, you're cheating bastards or whatever. Aye. I wanted to, I wanted a wee dig in there, you know, a wee bit of defiance, but keeping it subtle and keeping it quite good sounding. Um, so I think I managed that. You I, did. It's funny as you say that. I'd no, I'd no listened to the song for a while because I've not watched the film for a while. And you say to me, maybe going to play this. I thought, fuck, I better learn that because it's it's been <laughs> a long time I've done it. So I had to, I to learn it already. I mean, what was for when we first? I can remember now because you know when we first got the song in, I was kind of like, you know, you, right. So basically, what happens is every director in the world never wants to have a song in a film that's got words in it, right? Because yeah. they think that that detracts from what they have shown you on the screen, right? I think that's all bollocks, but that's there you go. But um, when we heard this song. I immediately I was like, that has to be go over the end because we were always going to do a Where Are They Now type thing, David Murray, Craig White, The Invincibles, etc, etc, etc. And I said, that's just fucking perfect. And where it's always interesting is people actually shut up when the song comes on in a live audience. And that's mm-hmm. when you know the biggest compliment you can get played, paid with any film is silence. You know, yeah, because ah, it's, it's, it's people were like, "Holy fuck!" And that, it just was so. It just really did kind of capture the moment. And also, as you say, it's a wee bit. Somebody else I can't remember who it was told me that you know when you're writing a love song, never write, never mention the word love. And it's a wee bit like that, where it's like didn't mention the cheating bastards, but they, everybody knows exactly. You know, they'll never keep us down. Kind of um, theme. Um, it was, it was oh, fantastic, but it was, it was. It was. That's that's how good it was. It was. You know, two years after the film came out, I watched it and I was like blown away by it. So it was a f- good job, well done. But well, I enjoyed it, mate. It's a first for me, as I say. Um, I'll do it now if you want. Actually, I've got... all right then. Give us, give us it now, and then we'll come back for our last wee bit. All right, mate. As I say, I didn't learn it for nothing. Eh? <laughs> Oh, you never keep us down. 
What goes around comes around. Another honest mistake. I'm in the market today. Oh, no more. Never ever gonna stay. The songs you did before, I hear them coming. And I knew we should be running. There's one thing they'll never see, never see. A broken history. You never keep us down. No, you never keep us down. And you know you never keep us down. Not you or another when you run around the other side of this town. No, you never keep us down. And you know you never keep us down. What goes around, it comes around. brilliant and i'll tell you why that nestles in my soul john it just reminded me when i asked you to write the song i never said to you right you know write it make sure you, you include bits about the obstacles and the oppression we faced and all that in this country yeah. just it was just a general broad stroke because i didn't like to trample own creativity and to be too kind of specific and when i was yeah. listening to that i was just kind of thinking that 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 you know that's essentially what it's all about you know that's essentially what the narrative has been, what we've been trying to put out there, and the message, and it's it's fantastic to hear it vocalised like that. It really is. I'm um, um, glad it fitted with the film, mate. Oh, it okay. Brilliant, yeah. absolutely brilliant. All right, so we're in a crazy world. We're in a crazy year. Um, for musicians, I mean, what the hell has it been like for people like you, John? It's grim. It's grim, mate. I mean, I don't. Uh, it's kind of a hobby for me, so I, I don't play five or sides. I don't play golf. Mm -hmm. I mean, getting in a room with a band and, and jamming out your favourite rock and roll standards is, is my hobby and my kind of therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm missing that big time. Like, you know, still meet up with the boys kind of at a safe distance and stuff, but you're not really getting, you're not getting in a room, you're not getting a, a work through the songs and stuff. And you lose a wee bit of focus on that. You know, mm -hmm. you kind of, I need to practising on guitar and house yourself. And it doesn't work over Zoom. You know what I mean? Are yeah. any of these things you've got kind of latency to worry about? So, That's right. I mean, you're never going to be able to play in time. Um, I see the Stones done it right enough for that. I, can, I don't know how they managed it, like, but it was a beggar's banquet. I think they've done it or something. But I mean, it, how how does it make you feel when you hear people when and like the Tory Party saying that yeah, well, you might have to go and get a real job and all this kind of thing, and you know, I mean, this kind of trampling on the arts, if you like. Well, I think it's I think it's absolutely typical of mm. Tory government, mate. If I'm being honest, I mean I've got a day job. This is I don't make money out of this even with the, the covers band. We don't 
mean, we basically get paid in beer when right. we do it. It's not, it's not we make money at it, but I, I feel for people mm-hmm. who's, you know, whose livelihood is, is the arts, and they're basically getting told to, you know, to go and fuck themselves. I think it's absolutely shocking. But it's an attack on the arts, isn't it? It's like yep. take away everything that's that's kind of sacred to people, you know. And it's it, it doesn't. It's not just the arts. It's you know, the football and be mm-hmm. even people that go to church and stuff. They're getting it limited, and it's like everything's getting sanitised. It's it's a grim situation we're in. But you need to just take hope that we'll get out there. I mean, if you'd have told me last gigged in February this year, I think, mm-hmm. and if you'd have said to me you will not get another gig this year. I wouldn't have believed it. Like, you know, we're at least maybe one or two gigs a month. Mm-hmm. So as well as missing practicing with the boys and stuff, you missed the, your sort of nights out and the gigs and the whole sort of camaraderie being that. It's, mm-hmm. it's grim, mate. There's bound to be something in sight, I think. Well, I mean, what I worry about, particularly working class um, youth, is where will their aspiration be? You know, because out of um, extreme poverty or difficult situations at home we've had a lot of great work comfy artists you know singers and writers and all that kind of thing um, and even under fucking Thatcher when people were on early doors when people were on the door they could be a band and not get the hassle you know that maybe others would get but to be to, I mean it just you're right it just kind of sums up the Tory sort of ethos of you know well we didn't you know we we're not interested in any of that shit anyway you know what I mean we'll get fucking angry We'll get and it's funny to mention like Thatcher and that because some of the best music mm-hmm. you know, from the 70s and 80s came out under her reign because the youth were like, no, nah, we've had enough of yeah, this. enough, exactly. exactly. So you can only hope that maybe the youth coming up now will come to the same conclusion and something new and exciting will come out, you know, like punk. Because, you know, we're doing something and they're doing something. I, I mean, I agree with you. I think there's no been a, there hasn't really been a movement since the 90s in terms of music and, and a youth movement uh, and all that. And it does, I mean, you see where the priorities lie when they fucking, you see punts like Andrew Lloyd Webber on saying, well, we'll get these theatres open for Christmas and all this fucking pish. And you're like, I'm sorry, but that's not anything to do with me. Ken, I, I can't afford to go to London and pay 250 quid to watch a fucking daft musical or play, no. you know. Um, if you're fucking that interested, then, you know, put them on in community centres and fucking let the people see them. But you're right, I mean, even... Um, that was one of the you know turning us right back to the Beatles. That was one of the brilliant things about the Beatles. They were all working class guys who Aye. came out of Liverpool and um, didn't take themselves that seriously, and basically conquered the fucking world. You know what I mean? Um, and and the Sex Pistols were the same kind of stuff with the creative all that stuff, and in, and in Manchester and Oasis and all that kind of thing. And the common denominator, John, I think, is that all these singers. Particularly like in Manchester, we, you know, Ian Curtis and, and Ian Brown and Sean Ryder and, and Noel Gallagher, Liam Gallagher, they all had something to say. Yeah. You know, they were all speaking out, whereas who now, our youth, is speaking out, certainly musically, fucking Ed Sheeran? Well, that's it, and none of them are, mate, and if they're going to speak out, they'll do it on their fucking Instagram or something, you know, they'll not, <laughs> they'll not go to the hassle you writing a song. I mean, it's, it's a wee bit unfair to say there was... There's been absolutely nothing mm-hmm. of interest in music. I mean, I really, I don't know if anybody else does, but I think Arctic Monkeys were, certainly the first few albums were a, a brilliant band, and mm-hmm. they were the closest to being a kind of, a, a band of the time for that generation. Mm-hmm. Kind of seminal almost. They kind of sum up maybe the noughties or whatever for kids of that age. Aye. But, I mean, other than them, I don't think there's been anything that, that really interests you that much. 
since the 90s, and it's, it's sad, that it? it really is, actually, aye, and it's... Um, I, know, I mean, my son, uh, I took him to see my eldest son, the Oasis documentary, about five years ago. Not the, sli- not the slightest bit interested in Oasis at all, or music for that matter. I'd said to him about gigs, and took him to the music, took him to the documentary. He watched it. He came out. He was like, "That's the best thing I've ever seen." Boom. Aye. He was into Oasis, No Gallagher, Liam Gallagher. Started getting into other bands and all that kind of stuff, which is great. But you know, it also kind of says that where are his generation? These stuff. You know, I'm watching fucking Sean Ryder and Bez on YouTube. You know, old men like me fucking talking and that. <laughs> Nothing's really replaced that. You know what I mean? So. Uh, I know what you mean. I mean that that documentary in Oasis, I thought it was quite telling that. Because mm-hmm. maybe Noel was talking over. I seen it at the end, and he says that I think it was maybe Nebworth. Mm-hmm. He's like, look at that crowd and, and no mobile phone to be seen. Aye. That kind of really struck me that you know you'll never be at a gig again when nobody's no. recording it or fucking selfieing it. You know what I mean? No, I know. And it's, it's fucking, it? it drives you fucking doolally when every, every song people are up and you think, uh, why don't you just experience the moment? I actually saw a thing, I remember a couple of years ago, and I, I, it's remiss of me to remember, remind of the band, it was, a, it was a decent band, it was at the Hydro, and a video went yeah. up of a guy going, absolutely, he was in the seats and he's going absolutely bananas at the music, and some guy had put on Twitter to say, this is what happens when your dad gets lit out. And I remember looking Man, at him thinking, what? Absolutely honking part of that. And like, I can't have been doing that. The guy's fucking enjoying him. He's a band he loves. What's the fucking problem? Nah. Yeah, and he's not standing with his phone up. So he didn't like it. It's just... Oh, I don't know. It's, probably... it's, it's the same as that Celtic does push, isn't it? I oh. mean, it's, it's absolute bottom in the barrel part of that. Like. It's funny because um, I think... I was actually having a discussion with that with a good friend of mine, Paul. And um, recently, Twitter was becoming toxic with... People just know what to hear anybody else's views and stuff. And I was like, this all started with a Celtic Daz push. Where yeah. People didn't want to, you know, when I was growing up, I wanted to hear all the stories of the older guys and all the rest of it, you know, and be educated by them. And also, okay. you know, would take my life into my hands if I ever even I thought about answering them back, you know what I mean? Yeah. Aye. But as now it's like, oh, what the fuck? You? And they're trying to, as a few people, I think, try to recreate certain traditions at Celtic um, so to try and. Because they were not involved in things in the past and all that, it's, it's just a bit, it's a bit strange, and you know. I hope that uh, they come out of this, but they probably sound like two grumpy old men. So, what we'll do is <laughs> I'll end this now. And have you got a song that could uplift us at the end, John? I'll certainly try, mate. It's a right. slow one, but it's, it's, it's good. quite a good wee song. Okay, and well, I don't know if you remember, um, that was the Kano Foundation dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just done some demos, Aye. and I ended up pushed and talking to Harper. <laughs> uh, probably uh, probably probably. Uh, so he ended up playing that song Homeboys that week I think a mm-hmm. few years ago ok well um, before we have that we'll just say it's been a pleasure I could have been sitting here talking for the next six hours to be honest John we could have went through all the world's, could have through all the world's fucking good. problems um, <laughs> a pleasure talking to you and uh, where can people find you and find your music well You'll get us. Uh, you'll get us in the Nine Clicks. That's the name of the current band now. Mm-hmm. The Nine Clicks on Facebook. Mm-hmm. That's where I'll be putting all my future stuff just now. Um, the covers band Fat Alligator. I've mm-hmm. got a Facebook as well. Check them out for a good laugh too. We've sometimes put videos up there. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Well, again, a pleasure, John. And take us out with your best. Cheers, mate. This is one called uh, Head Miles Away.